Hello and welcome to the Station Tapes on 21 Soul. I'm your host, Lewis Marks, and on this podcast I share intimate interviews with some of the best musicians on the planet. In my role at Ropeanope, I interview each artist as we prepare for their new release. I want to get the backstory, the sense of their intent, their motivation around the record. I found that given the opportunity in a relaxed setting, they feel free to open up about life and the challenges of being a professional musician. This week I had the great pleasure of speaking with Vivian Sessoms. Raised in a musical family in Harlem, Vivian's list of credits in the music business requires a lot of scrolling, with notables like Stevie Wonder, Sinead O'Connor, and Ryuichi Sakamoto on that list. Last year, Vivian stunned us with her two-part album entitled Life, an epic collection of songs and lush arrangements done with her husband, Chris Parks, and featuring the likes of Keon Harold, Casey Benjamin, Shedrick Mitchell, Amp Fiddler, and many more. It's her powerful social commentary that's mixed throughout that caught our ears. The most powerful track, I Can't Breathe, is dedicated to Erica Garner and is due out this February. Okay, uh, Lewis Marks here. I am here at the Robodope Room in East Philadelphia, and uh, I have the great pleasure of introducing uh, Vivian Sessoms. Hi, Vivian. How are you? Hi, Lewis. How are you? I am I am rocking and rolling. I'm very excited <laughs> for your, your new record in full, um, and uh, we are getting geared up for a release in uh, late July. So I wanted to just sort of get back. I I, I read. Uh, I took a look at your website and the list of people that you have collaborated with, and I was fully overwhelmed. So I'm gonna pick out some. <laughs> Um, actually, let, let's go back. Let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Um, okay. you were born and raised in Harlem. Yes. I, I actually was born, I was born and raised mostly in Harlem, but, um, my parents were separated when I was a kid and my dad was from Philly. Wow. So I kind of shuffled back and forth between my folks for a while, which was Philly and, and Harlem. And then for a while, Newark. So I, I like to say I lived in all the hoods. <laughs> there you go. When I was growing up, yeah. All very authentic places, uh, if that term yeah. is overused. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, so tell us a little bit about how how you know how much a part uh, of your life music was growing up. Wow, I think um, music has been my savior, really. Um, when I was growing up, you know, between my parents, most of my parents were musicians, so they, you know, traveled a lot for music. They were, you know, kind of hippies, um, so they were part of that lifestyle as well. Um, and you know, free thinkers, but you know, free people, um, part of the drug culture, all of that stuff. So, um, so I lived a lot as well as with my parents, with my two sets of grandparents. And so um, I was growing up an only child for a long time. And so music was kind of my, <clears throat> was my saving grace. And um, because I loved it so much and, and um, seemed to have something of an aptitude for it, you know, and my, my family kept me involved in a lot of programs 
to do was music and things like that. And it was really good for me. And I was also a very shy kid. So it was, a, it was you know, someplace that I could go to. When did you know that, when did you discover your voice? When did you know that singing was your thing, your contribution to music? Well, um, there's several times in my life when, you know, as a kid, I just felt like I'm going to be a singer one day. I'm going to get on the stage. I think uh, like a lot of people who know that early on as a kid, there are just a lot of defining moments. Um, hearing music or seeing, you know, an artist that you love on television or with me, you know, I was very lucky, lucky because my parents were musicians to be around music. I mean, live music often as a kid and just really cementing in my mind that this was absolutely my path that I needed. Like there was like a, a need, like I have to, I have to do this or else I, you know, there's no point, you know? Um, but, you know, when my, when I was a very little girl, because both my parents were musicians and they both sang, you know, I mean, they would just sing around me and to me as a, as a little, little girl, you know, my mother would teach me a song and then, you know, the two of them would be harmonizing with me, you know, on just little, very silly songs and showing me, you know, what that meant and what it sounded like, you know. Um, my dad would, you know, show me things, you know, play a drum or whatever for me. Um, so, um, so that was from, you know, just the first memories that I have, you know what I mean? So, um, um, my grandmother, my mother's mother was very religious. So she made sure that I was always in church. Although oddly, I never sang with the church choir or anything like that, but I was always in church and there's lots of music in the black church. So just, you know, I was really just, you know, always, always around music and um, knew that it's absolutely what I loved about living, you know, so. It's fascinating because I, I, I ask that question of a lot, a lot of artists and, and you know, the common theme is always, it's just, it, it's almost impossible to separate it. You know, it's, it's not a, it's not a hobby or a career. It's, it's your life is what I'm hearing you say. It's a life. Yeah. It totally is a life. So. Totally is a life. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, I think someone the other day I asked the question, they said, I don't know. It's like, it's like my arm, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it is. That's how it feels. It's like, you know, as a kid, I just was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it happen. You know, like I had that, burning like I don't know how I'm gonna do it but I have to be a singer or I have to be you know in music I have to you know uh, I'll tell you a funny story though I remember as a very little girl um walking to the laundromat with my grandmother I grew up in the projects in Harlem and St. Nick projects shout out to St. Nick projects and um one night we were walking back from the laundromat but on this particular night we took a different route than we normally would have because there was some construction going on or something like that and um we passed this building that was about two blocks from my house and I said to my grandmother I still have this memory to this day but I've never been able to forget it because it's one that my grandmother brought up throughout my life like do you remember that time you and I 
Um, so I was never able to forget it. But I said to her, I was like, I used to live in that building. I was like four or five. And she was like, you did? When did you used to live in that building? I was like, when I was here before. I used to live in that building. And I was here before, and I used to be a dancer, and I lived in that apartment right there. Wow. I can't even imagine the, <laughs> the shock. She, she got down on the ground. I mean, she kneeled down. She was like, you used to live in that building right there? And I was like, yeah. She was like, what did you do? I was, I was like, I was a dancer, and I lived there. That was my window. Wow. She was like, and you remember that? And I was like, I remember it, yes. When I was here before. You remember? <laughs> So do you think that you were projecting a vision or were you, or do you think that you were, you were, you know, that was some cosmic connection to a previous experience? I mean, I don't remember how I felt saying this at that time, but I feel like if I said it, I do remember vaguely saying it. And I feel like I have that memory firmly, you know, embedded in my mind because my grandmother is reminding me of it so many times in my life. But I feel like I said it with such conviction that it was like, no, I have the clear memory. So I, and I also think that children very often have, because maybe, you know, it's, they're so young in the, in the, in the per, their present or current lives that they can remember those things or they have some nuance of, you know, of it. But I was very firm with her. And I was like, no, I live there. I live there. Don't you remember? I was here before. So, you know, she just, that was like a a parlor conversation that went on my whole life. <laughs> like, yeah, well, remember that time when you? <laughs> well, it's stunning. No, so, filter, right? You're just gonna say it. You're gonna say it. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 uh, you know, coming to now and 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 reflecting backwards, um, you've spent a lot of time, um, uh, or a very what seems to me feels to me like a very deliberate path of perfecting what you do. And can, can you talk a little bit about where that started um, or, the, or the key points? You mentioned a couple in, in, your, in your bio, uh, and I want to uh, pronounce the name correctly, but forgive me if I don't, but Ryuichi Sakamoto? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Is someone, uh, how did that come about? And, and, and tell me about that experience, if you could. Um. Uh, another singer friend of mine, I got asked to do that gig. Actually, like a few, a few different, it's one of those kismet moments where like two or three different singers had gotten asked to do that gig. I was still um, somewhat, not, I would say not brand new on the scene, but still kind of making a name for myself. And none of those singers could do it. I remember India Davenport being one. And um, there's another singer who recommended me as well. They both got asked to do the gig and were unable to do it and recommended me. Mm-hmm. And um, he then, his management reached out to me and asked me to send, you know, some, some promo stuff. We didn't, you know, we weren't on the internet at that time. And so there was no YouTube yet. And so I sent like a cassette, you know, we're talking a minute here, but um or a cd of myself and you know some photos and um and so i got the gig and uh you know i guess my resume was you know not as involved as it is now so he was sort of taking a little chance on me i was sort of the really 
myself and one other person were like the two green people on the gig. I mean, I had done tours before, but this was a kind of a big tour. And so, um, and I remember I was, the other person who was really green on that tour was uh, Derek Sivers, who was the founder of CD Baby. He was playing, got asked to play guitar for Ryuichi. But everybody else on that gig was like so seasoned. Like, I mean, at one point we had like Manu Kache from Sting and, and um, Victor Bailey from Weather Report and wow. um, Anastasio, uh, Valentina Anastasio, the percussionist. So it was a, like a real heavyweight list of you know musicians and you know and it was also really challenging because I had to sing in Japanese um on this gig and Okinawan and a bunch of different things and it was like so it was one of those gigs that really challenged me very early on um but yeah so that's how it came to be and and just in working with him I mean you know he created a lot right on the spot he's a brilliant composer and pianist and so he was you know, we'd go to rehearse for a show and while we'd be rehearsing for the show, he'd be composing new things and adding them to the show or, you know, um, putting small pieces of music together to segue from one portion of the show to another. And it was very, very interesting to watch. And, and he'd just write it out on the spot and everyone would just play it right then. So it was, it was very interesting to to watch that. But, you know, my mom also wrote music. And um, so, I, you know, I was writing you know pages of poetry and you know ideas for songs from you know 14 or 15 you know but that was a chance to really see music at a very high level you know I mean I'd done tours before that but to actually see someone right on the spot compose something and have you know everyone play it right there you know it was just like wow this is wow you know, and everyone could take that music and read it and, you know, mm. execute it, you know, beautifully. It was like, oh, this is like, you know, I felt completely out of my depth and element, you know, and I'd be like in my room cramming for five or six hours every night so that I could go back the next day and be on point because I didn't read music, you know what I mean? So I'd have to, you know, have my part recorded or record it you know, pick it out on the piano and record it and come back the next day and have it memorized because I did not want to be seen to be wanting in front of all these great musicians, you know, so. It's so amazing in its scope. And if, if, if folks are listening to this, you know, take a little side trip and, and research uh, uh, Sakamoto. I mean, it, it's fascinating to me because we spent a lot of time talking about the roots of music and the, and the way certain uh, cultural pieces uh, come together, whether it's from New Orleans, Haiti to New Orleans, or, or uh, you know, uh, the blues uh, and jazz mixing, and, or, or reggae coming off of R&B. Th these are like ground up sort of organic approaches, but here's a person who's an ethnomusicologist uh, traveling the world and coming from a very high level to start and then integrating different types of music from all over the world. I, I don't know that, I, I'm not sure what, when you were there, what, you know, specifically what the music was, but if you, I mean, his vision is amazing. Oh yeah, it's stunning. It's, it's the scope and the breadth of what he is able to do is just, you know, from, I mean, he, first of all, he's one of the pioneers of electronic music. Um, you know, he, 
um, formed a band, Yellow Magic Orchestra, that was known to be like one of, you know, Mick Jagger's most favorite bands. I mean, he was at the forefront of that. But then also he comes from a classical background. Um, and on this on the tours that I did with him, he had mixed that classical with this techno and then, you know, wanted to add elements of hip hop. And, you know, so one tour we did, we didn't even have a drummer. He just had um, samples play. Um, he was very, you know, very much that guy. And then he had, you know, um, Valtinho Anastasio, a brilliant Brazilian percussionist. Um, so he'd add elements of that. Um, and I don't know if uh, you remember, um, but, you know, when um, Soul to Soul was out, he got the string players from Soul to Soul. They were really like, just, you know, killing everything in the game at that time and um he wanted the string players from that so he got you know the string players from soul to soul so he just had a lot of things in that pot and then he also had you know uh Toa Tay worked with him for a bit the the um dj from delight who i went on to work with after you know after working with Ryuichi, and then he also had um you know, he'd always introduce uh, new, younger Japanese artists and what they were doing. So, um, yeah, he, he just really, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how he was able to do what he did, but, you know. I mean, I, I think I have a better understanding now, but he's a really, really brilliant um, musician and, and con composer and all of those things, yeah. Did you, uh, did you work together? Uh, I mean, you do credit him, and I, and I can clearly see why, as, as, you know, a part of the foundation. Uh, your foundation, I think. Um, did you work with him subsequently after the tour? Yeah, we, we well, we did several tours together. So we worked together for a long time. Um, and, you know, there's, I find that these, you know, like, like Ryuchi, Toa Tei, like they, they go out of my life for a while and then they come back in it in some way or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I in fact, I find that with a lot of people from earlier in my career, I've, been showing up in my life again and you know lately and um i wound up working with them um but um we haven't done anything as of late but toa and i might be uh i did something for his um last record last year and he i think is working on a remix for me for um I'm planning on releasing either right before my record comes out or around the same time, a remix of my last record, which will have mostly remixes of that and until it's going to be contributing something to that. And there'll also be a few new songs, but not that many, but um, that are sort of like left of center, just little snippets of things that I love that actually turned into whole songs that kind of fit the vibe of the record that it's, you know, since it's a remix record. But um, yeah. So I'd like to work with him again, though, and we we do keep in touch, Rui and I, and you know a lot of people that I worked with from those tours. Beautiful, beautiful. And 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 as I look at at, at the the things that you've done, um, you know, I think there's a mirror there in in the, the the incredible breadth of people that you've worked with, from Joe Cocker to Sinead O'Connor. Dion Warwick, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye. Do you want to talk about that? Marvin Gaye? Did you have a performance well, or something? I I never worked with Marvin Gaye. Um, I hope it didn't say that anywhere on my resume. But um, <laughs> but when 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll take blame for that. That's probably my error in the way I worded that. <clears throat> um, but there's a there's a blog on my website, and it goes back a while, so to see it, you'd have to scroll through. But, um, you know, I, I always it's a little bit of a long story, so I'll make it a very short story. But I always talk about the one thing that I love about Facebook is how it brings people together that you haven't seen in a long time, you know, childhood friends, school friends, that kind of thing. I had a guy hit me about, I don't know, five or six years ago now and say, Vivian, you probably don't remember me. My name is, and I won't say what his name is, but um, he was like, but when we were in school, I changed my name, but when we were in school, you knew me as Gerald McDonald, the guy that sat behind me in school that I had the biggest crush on. Anyway, Gerald was older than a couple of us in school because he, you know, was known to be a bad kid a little bit and had gotten left back. I just loved this guy, okay, because I was the smallest one in my class and he just sort of took me under his wing and was, you know, my protector. And um, it came out in class in this sixth grade class that I like to sing. And so, you know, we did a school play and I was in the play and blah, blah, blah. And one thing led to another. And then, and everyone where I grew up knew that I loved to sing everyone. I would, you know, walk around the projects all the time singing. And as I became a teenager coming home from school or whatever, I'd be, you know, singing my heart out and people would be yelling out the window, like, shut up, you know, that kind of stuff or whatever. But everybody knew me. Everybody knew my mom. Everybody knew my uncle. He was a um, very well-known, you know, young young basketball, you know, legend coming up in the projects. And, you know, my mom was a singer and my dad was an instrumentalist. So everybody knew me as the kid who loved to sing. Um, but because I was in the school play, everybody was like, you know, wow, Vivian, you know, sort of, you know, developing. And so there was a band in our project. And... Um, that was a part of the community center that I went to um, that had activities for kids. And the head of the center was putting together this, you know, band room for this band. And um, he loved the guys so much. They were all much older than me. He loved them so much that he gave them a room and he got the funding and got instruments for them. And, you know, he was very involved. Um, Mr. Mr. Bird was very involved in wanting to keep kids out of trouble. So he had a lot of things going on in the center for people to be able to be involved in. And um, got, you know, these kids, these great new instruments or whatever. And um, they got to be really good, you know. So he somehow finagled a way for this man to open up for Marvin Gaye in Atlantic City on one of these monumental shows. It was like the show of the summer, Marvin Gaye at right. Caesars Palace in Atlantic City. If you're not going to be there, you're going to miss like the event of like the decade, you know, or one of. And he finagled it that this band was going to open. I don't know who he paid or, you know, what arm he broke or whatever, but <laughs> he did it. And they didn't have a lead singer. So they came to my house and was knocking on my door and asking my mom if she would let me be in their band. And she was like, I was nine. Okay. And she was like, absolutely. Or maybe I, I, I think I was actually eight. And she was like, absolutely not under any circumstances can my eight-year-old daughter go and hang out with you 15, 16, 17, 18 year old boys. No. Um, and you know, they were just like, please, please, you know, like, she, and they were just pleading their case. And she was like, hell no, hell to the no, like H E double O in caps. No. 
But my uncle was also about 17 at the time, my mother's brother. So he somehow convinced her to let me do this and that if he would chaperone me every day, she would let me do it because she worked at the post office. So she was at work. And so she let me do it on the grounds that he would chaperone me every day. So he would take me to the rehearsal and bring me back every day after the rehearsal. But when it came time for that show, she was still like, I don't know. Mm, I don't feel good about it. And so, you know, uh, you know, even Mr. Bird, the head of the center was like, come on, let her, you know, why don't you come on this? My wife is going, show chaperone, you know, your brother's going to go, blah, blah, blah. So after a long, you know, bout of, you know, back and forth, she con- she conceded and let me do it. Mm-hmm. And we opened for Marvin Gaye. And um, at the end of the show, he carried me back out on his shoulder. I was like, can you believe this angel? Look at this, this little girl. This is amazing. And he let me talk on the mic and he was holding me in his arms. And he was like, I want you guys to give this, you know, young group uh a standing ovation and he brought the band back on and it was just like unbelievable that's like one of those things anyway my friend calls me up um he's like give me your number he, we, we hit each other on facebook he calls me up we start talking he was like i've been all over your website i've looked all through your social media you have never mentioned that once that's like the highlight of every single person in that band's life we talk about it all the time First of all, I'm like, you're in touch with all those guys all the time? He was like, yes, we all, you know, we, he lived in Georgia now, and they also lived, you know, in New York. He's like, I talk to most of those guys, like, every week or every other week. And we all want to know why you never talk about this, that that happened to us. And I was like, you know, I'm, I don't know why. I, I think people would not believe me. That's why. Or they think I'm bragging or something. He was like, you have to tell this story. And I was like, I'll tell you what, if you write this story out, I'll, I'll put it on my blog, on my website. So he did. So that's how I started telling the story. I never used to talk about it. <laughs> there you go. Anyway. Well, I'm glad we talked about it because, you know, <laughs> all hail, uh, great Marvin Gaye. And oh, God, a yeah. life experience that, uh, you know, I mean, you, you have life experiences that most people uh, don't have while, while we're all sitting at our desks. And that was <laughs> amazing. Um, let's let's just fast forward for the sake of time and, and talk about the new record. Um, I am very excited about this, and uh, I'd like to hear uh, first if there are a couple of key uh, songs that you'd like to talk about, or would you like to just sort of tell us what the general message is and what you want to say to the world with this music? Well, um, I'll talk more just about the direction of the album if I may, a little bit. Um, I, um, you know, I started really getting into uh, big band music several years ago. I love it. And that sort of led me to, to what, you know, what we know as jazz. Um, I'd always loved it. My mom was always really a big fan of, you know, singers. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, especially Sarah Vaughn, she really, really loved. And so, you know, I always heard that music, but to get into it on my own to where I wanted to sing it, it didn't it really happen until for me until a little bit later um, and understanding it. And, um, you know, my last record was a soul record. I wanted to do something really different with this record. Um, so a lot of it is covers. There are some original songs on it, but a lot of it is covers. And it's it's covers of a lot of my favorite tunes, but it's not just jazz 
you know, it's not just standards that I'm covering. I'm also covering some contemporary songs. I'm covering stuff by Stevie Wonder and, um, and, and other, you know, Amy Winehouse and a few other people um, that I love. But what I've done is I've, you know, taken a lot of these songs and, and, and done minor arrangements or, or gotten, you know, some of my favorite arrangers to do arrangements for me. So some of them are a little bit unrecognizable, but I wanted to present some of the songs that I love in, in new ways and, and to a new audience, some of these standards, and even some of the, of the newer tunes. So it's sort of like a plot twist in that I take the standards and give them somewhat of a modern reworking, and then I've taken some of the more modern songs and given them a more um, standard approach, if you will. Um, but that's the surface of the record. But at the heart of the record, you know, I'm talking about themes of life and themes of black life in particular, what we're dealing with, you know, love, um, living day to day, um, violence. Um, I know that, that, that the black media seems to have been experiencing a lot of lately. Um, so there are issues of race on there and issues, you know, a little bit of a, of a political, bent to it to a degree uh spiritual you know um there's there's a lot of ground covered in terms of genre there's you know soul blues jazz world beat um so it's really a it's a real hodgepodge of mixtures but i think with black music right now what you're seeing and that and not just black music but 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 for me I talk about black music because I'm listening to a lot of it right now but I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of genre bending right now a lot of you know turning genres on its ears and and you know saying you know we don't have to really be boxed into any one thing this is just my music I don't want to do just one thing because I love a lot of things about all kinds of music and I feel okay to mix all of that in and present it to you in this way in this fashion um so that's you know that's what i'll say about about the new record but i I will also say that i'm incredibly first of all i'm beside myself with the, the the personnel of who's on this record and that they would even be into gracing me with their gifts and then um the record has just sort of taken on a life of its own. It's It's been one of these instances where I just say, here's this kernel of an idea I have, you know, what, what, do, you, what, what do you think we can do with it? And what's developed has just been a, a magnificent, um, I don't know, outpouring of, you know, people contributing in all kinds of ways. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm thrilled as well. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. I hear everything you're saying, and and we, you know, we we hear that often here. And I I, I think it's a wonderful time. In that, um, the creation is first, you know, and then the collaboration is second, and then the market is third, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you can, you can uh, come up with an idea and express yourself fully. Uh, and bring in other people. And um, I, you know, when you say hodgepodge, I think there's a little bit of a message of that, that it's kind of, you know, not concise. That, that doesn't feel that way to me at all. It feels just like uh, broad. 
where there are a lot of things that you want to express uh, and the common, you know, you're in, you're in the absolute center of that uh, with every song. I, I love that uh, the covers don't sound initially like the songs. Uh, yeah. And then, and then you're like, oh, wow, that's, oh yeah, you know? Um, yeah. Of course, Stevie, you can hear right away, always. Yeah. Uh, but 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 that's that is a really creative and inventive way to 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 do that. And you know, I'm not personally not a fan of covers usually because I think a lot of times they fall short. You know, somebody once said you either you have to do it different or better. You know, and if you're yeah. going to cover some greats, better is probably not, especially if it's out and it, and it's loved by the world. You know, better is yeah. Better to do it might you know could be better in a lot of ways but not necessarily in the minds of the, of the people right so it's always risky it's always a risk you're taking you know what i mean whether it'll resonate with people because they the original one they they love so much is so firmly ensconced in the in the you know in the public's mind but um you know, i took a chance and you know tried to give the utmost respect to everything you know what i mean that i was covering um but I definitely just decidedly wanted this to be a jazz record or, or an homage to it. You know, I don't know if it sounds so much like a jazz record, but, um, but I definitely wanted to pay tribute to the greats and, and especially the ones who I love and, and are my favorites. Um, and Phoebe is, is definitely at the top of that list, you know, as, as well as many others. Um, but I recorded so much music, so you know I have enough for like <laughs> like five albums or whatever. So, but um, yeah, I'm I, I'm super excited, and I did try to. I don't know what the cohesiveness is about it, but I did try to make it so that it all works together. Um, and that and that's been the trick of putting this all together because it does go in a lot of directions. Um, but but for, for somehow it just kind of works, you know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I gotta you know give a lot of credit to you know Shedrick Mitchell who came in you know and was just like helped me flesh out some things and and you know Billy Kilson and Mark Whitfield who are my guys who I love and are like you know big brothers to me and but just a, a lot of people just really came came through for me on this record. I've got you know live strings, you know with. Um, Carissa, the violin diva, and, you know, Hart, Brandy Younger, and, you know, Casey Benjamin. It's just a lot of incredible people just, you know, coming through and, and you know, uh, Keon Harold listening and, you know, Vince Gardner and just thinking like, okay, well, you know what, this could use, um, what do you think about this? It's just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Many emotional moments for me while, while recording, recording this record. Yeah, and a great community there. Um... Yeah. Speaking of emotional moments, uh, you know, there's a there's a song on here, and I and I urge people if you're going to start listening to this record, uh, start at the top, but maybe put this one on twice. The song "I Can't Breathe." Um, I I think the thing that strikes me about it is there are a lot of ways to talk about uh, Eric Garner and and police violence and and Black Lives Matter, but uh, you chosen a, a very personal way to represent it um, and it's so human 
that that it's undeniable. It's not political in any way, in in my estimation. Um, can you tell me, you know, did you intend to approach it that way when when you wrote this, and, and did it come out the way you wanted? Yeah, it it did it did come out the way I wanted. In fact, it came out. Um, came out out like way better than I'd hoped mm. like if I'm allowed to say that um because mm -hmm. um you know just seeing a lot of moving backwards in in regard to black people in America and how we're viewed and and how we're treated mm -hmm. and um you know, for a long time when Obama was in office, when President Obama was in office, I, I was grappling with, is there just more violence now regarding Black people? Or was it just always this enormous amount of violence happening to Black people, but we just know about it now because there's a way to actually um, video it. You know what I mean? There's a way to capture it and I think what I've what I've come to is that it's both there's more and we see more of it now because we have the ability to to, to film it with our phones but I, agree. I think that what's been happening is that when people have been you know confronted by police a lot of times they're you know, if, if they if they wind up being killed, they're almost being killed twice because the media has been doing such a poor job with telling the life story of these these people. And I think that it's happened so much as well, so many times that you just become inundated with watching this on television and you know on the internet that it becomes difficult to first of all believe that all of these black people are telling the truth when they say you don't have to be doing anything to have to have a confrontation with police or just a random person who has a problem with you and feels that they're doing a service you know what i mean mm -hmm. to their community by confronting someone black you don't have to be doing anything at all, but just living your daily life. Um, just being, but then just being alive. But then, you know, then the media goes on to perpetuate these myths and stereotypes of, well, this person had, you know, they stole something, which most often we've learned that that was not the case, or they had this bad character before they ever got into this situation. Like it's always made to believe that this person somehow did something to deserve this horrific treatment. Yes. And then, and 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 the public seems to, you know, black people decry that it's a foul, and 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 the rest of America seems to somehow be. Um, pacified with those stories and goes on with their lives. Um, and I just wanted to find a way to tell the story from the, the victim's family's point of view and to humanize 
these people because so often they're just dehumanized. You know, we see what happens to them and, you know, you get this little sound bite of what their character might be like based on, you know, this kid was not doing well in school or they had lost their job or they were selling loose cigarettes or, you know, therefore, you know, this person's license was revoked or, you know, this person, you know, didn't answer the police in a way that they felt was, you know, fitting. So therefore they must have been bad people, but whatever they did, they must have done something in that instance to deserve what happened to them. And I'm just trying to show that everyone that has had an altercation with the police is a human person mm-hmm. and that not only are they human, but they have families. Mm-hmm. And when the families are disrupted, this is what happens to the people within those family units that yeah. they suffer greatly and you know we it's you know we know how much you can suffer when you lose a loved one but you know they suffer often monetarily they suffer you know emotionally physically spiritually um the community suffers a lot of times these are people who are beloved in their communities and i'm trying to show the world that these are real people that we're talking about they have families and Please try to imagine, if you will, for this four minutes, a day in the life of a wife or a daughter who, you know, had their lives taken away, uh, you know, by this act of violence. Their lives have changed forever. Yes. And can we all put ourselves in this situation for a moment and imagine what it feels like? That's beautiful. Uh, and, I, and I feel it when I hear it. Uh, I, I do, I hesitate to comment on this, but I, I think I will. I have trouble not talking. Um, <laughs> I, I think people don't realize uh, that, that, that there's a story out there that is, that, is, that is affecting the way they view these things. Uh, when you talk about the, the, the community of most Americans and they hear things on the news, I don't think people fully understand how much the narrative is uh, manipulating us all. all. There's a great program that just opened in, I believe in Montgomery, I'm not sure. Um, And I watched a documentary on it uh, and they talked about lynchings in the South. And they did talk about the deliberate nature of the public uh, display, right? So uh, I'm cynical here and I think that what gets trotted out on television and the story and the narrative that follows about what that person did and what their story was uh, is, is not deliberate in the sense that one person that, that the newscaster decides that, uh, you know, I'm going to do this. I think that the story, uh, you know, the narrative rules and the narrative continues and it never went away. Uh, and those people are just perpetuating a narrative that we all believe. And uh, it's a narrative that, that victimizes uh, black Americans uh, c- consistently, and I, I just think people need to think about it more. Uh, for, yeah, for themselves, d- dig into. This. I agree. Uh, and this is one way for them to do it, but because the dehumanization is the first point, it's the same dehumanization that happens in war, uh, which is fat. You know, I mean that that's just horrible, right there, right? I mean, we dehumanize uh, 
entire villages of people when 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 we drop a bomb or something like that you know but uh, this this feels like a war it feels like a war on black people and it, it, it always has been in a sense yeah yeah and you know i i you know i don't I won't go into too much of what I'm singing about on the record, but I also cover the song Strange Fruit. And, yes. you know, it's, you know, it's one of those songs that it's just extremely timely right now. In fact, I know Andrew Day has covered it as well. Um, yes. And I just think that the reason it resonates so much is because we look at what's happening today as, as, as today's lynching. And I think that we'll look back on this time one day in our, our future and and people will cringe that they allowed this to happen and go so very often unpunished. I mean, we're just starting to see police actually be punished for these kinds of crimes. And I mean, and we're you know we're talking about police, but you know, you know, not only police are 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 inflicting this kind of violence. So or, you know, are acting out this kind of violence. So, you know, you just have, you can, you know, kids are driving up to gas stations with their music playing and, and being confronted by a guy in the next car who's like, I don't like your music, you know? So he pulls out a, you know, a shotgun. I mean, it's just, yep. it feels like a war, you know, on, 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 on us. And um, not enough is being made of, these situations. I think, you know, last week there was a situation in Starbucks and I think, mm -hmm. I think it's one of the, first of all, please understand when I say that there are many, many white people who understand and see what's going on and have been raising hell. You know what I mean? And, and we love you because we know that not every white person feels this way and knows that what's happening is, is criminal. But, um, what happened in Starbucks, I think was very telling because it was a full place of people who saw these guys dragged out of Starbucks within two or three minutes of walking in there and people being outraged, mm -hmm. people being outraged as well as the guy who they were there to meet, you know, seeing that nothing transpired, nothing out of the ordinary. They just simply called the police. There's another situation where, you know, black women were golfing and the people who were coming behind them, playing behind them, called the police because they felt they were playing too slow. They were playing through too slow. And the women are like, these guys were so many holes behind us. We didn't even know that they were bothered by us. And they never said anything to us. They just called the police. Yep. So people are starting to really get it that you don't have to be really doing anything at all. Or if you're standing up for yourself in some kind of way, someone can just decide they don't like it, call the police. And if you, you know, speak in a way that is any way like I haven't done anything wrong like why are you you know you could wind up on the ground you could wind up in handcuffs you could wind up beaten yeah I have you could wind up in our community that have experienced this uh you know I mean they're, they're I've experienced it musicians yeah I, I want to I myself has experienced it and I'm a woman not right. that that means anything you know what I mean but yeah well I just, I've been in handcuffs so incredible. So I just want to say, you know, I mean, just along those lines, I mean, people, it doesn't take full, full on outrage. It just takes some introspection and some understanding. It takes some sympathy, some humanization, uh, believe the victim, 
uh, and move forward and 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 you know be a part of the change that comes that that puts an end to this. And I, I think it's just a it's a be human for you know for people uh, like myself and friends and people I meet. You know, be human, uh, but you know, understand the the victimization and take steps to move forward. Uh, you know, I mean, I had I had an I had an experience last week where somebody you know outside of a bar having a cigarette, I you know dropped the n-word and i just looked at him and i said we're done here you know it was nice to meet you but we're done and he said well i didn't yeah. mean it like that i said no you can go home and figure out what it is you really believe but we're done because i'm not yeah. about it. and that, that's not much but i think that a lot of people could do that you know and and, and yeah if a lot more people did that then that isolates the narrative and the and the and the, and the advancement of the narrative uh, at least in your hometown, you know. Um, yeah. So I, I think we we could go all day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we touched on that song and and Strange Fruit because they're key songs. I do want to say that there's so much more on this record, uh, uh, and you deliver these messages in a beautiful and human way. So uh, it's very yeah. enjoyable, and I want to uh, thank you, Vivian, for making great music and. Uh, trusting us with it, and I can't wait for people to hear it. Uh, I'm super excited. I'm glad to, you know, to be with you guys. I, I just love what you're doing with all of the artists I see, and many of my favorite artists right now are actually signed to Ropadope, and that's the truth. So I'm, I'm honored. I'm really honored. Beautiful. Yeah, we've got a we've got a movement brewing here. Yeah, we really do, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Thanks so much, Vivian. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Louis. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's our show for the week. Thanks for listening to The Station Tapes. If you like what we do, please subscribe on Mixcloud at 21 Soul. And you can also find us on Stitcher, Apple, and Spotify. Our 21 Soul video series features in-person interviews, music discussion, and live performances. And you can find that on YouTube at Ropadope99. Big thanks to our producer, Nick Perry. Our general manager is Fran DiRubo. The Station Tapes theme song is from Red Hook Soul by Michael Blake. And big thanks to all the people who keep the flame burning, to all the musicians who pour their creativity into the world, and thanks to those of you who are taking the time to listen. We hope you enjoy the show.